The following podcast is a glimpse into the life of Ecclesia Houston. We pray it is a blessing as you seek to follow Jesus, the liberating King, and live in His kingdom here on earth as it is in heaven.
Ecclesia. I am so glad that you are here with us for our online gathering this morning. From wherever you are, I hope that you feel loved and seen this morning. Please allow me to say a prayer for you as we begin our worship today. Dear Jesus, I thank you so much for every single person who is watching this right now. We are so glad that they are here and that they are your children. God, I pray that you would open our eyes to see and our ears to hear your wisdom today. Thank you for being with us and meeting us wherever we are. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, I pray, amen. If you don't build it with labor in vain Without your spirit, we stand with no strength. I know my time is passing away, but the works of your hands are what will remain. Let the favor of the Lord rest upon us. Oh Lord, establish the work of our hands. Just to number the length of our days Pour out your power, pour out your praise Teach us to rhyme, to finish the race
Now comes the time in our service where we get to say a special blessing over all of the children who are in our lives. So if you have your children with you, feel free to bring them close. You can lay your hands on them. Um, if your children are not with you, or if you don't have children of your own, feel free to just recall any children that you love in your mind. This is my son, Micah. I'll be saying the blessing with him today. Micah, may God bless you today with peace, with wisdom and with love in your heart for everyone that you come into contact with. Amen. Now join me as we say this offertory prayer. Almighty God, you created everything in the heavens above and in the earth below. You survey all your creation and you savor its beauty and appreciate its goodness. To you we lift up the best we have to offer from our time talents and resources. We give freely from what we have received from your hand. We give joyfully with the gratitude of a rescued people. We give generously with the excitement of children at play. We join with your mission and with your kingdom. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Hello, Ecclesia. I hope that you are enjoying our album of songs recorded during this pandemic that our worship band has given to us as a gift. If not, simply search Ecclesia Houston Hold Fast on your preferred streaming service and bring this incredible music with you wherever you are. You know, music gives us so many gifts. And you know what else gives us many gifts? slowing down, taking a deep breath. I've been meditating on a quotation lately. Without reflection, we go blindly on our way. Let that sink in. Without reflection, we go blindly on our way. We'd love for you to join us on Tuesday nights at 8 p.m. on Zoom for a time of guided reflection with God. We meet for just 30 minutes, but it can be such a balm for your soul. A woman shared this with me recently. That was so beautiful. This was my first time and it is filling a part of me that I didn't even know needed attention. So Ecclesia, for details and to register for Be Still, go to ecclesiahouston.org slash events. Another Zoom event we're looking forward to is Vespers, this Wednesday at 8 p.m. Vespers means evening prayers. And this Wednesday, we will focus on praying for all of our students, teachers, and support staff who are going back to school. This Delta variant is causing lots of anxiety and extra layers of concern and decision-making. It's times like these where gathering as a community can be just what we need to remind us that we are not alone. Again, details and registration can be found at ecclesiahouston.org slash events. Now please join me in a deep breath as we prepare ourselves to discover what God has to say to us through our dear friend, Erica Graham.
Good morning. I am so excited to be here in New York City with this incredible backdrop. Uh, last night, my husband and I stood in line and we got some New York pizza and we folded it in half. And there is just so much. I could go on and on about how amazing this city is. And I'm honored to be here. But before we begin the sermon today, let's pray. Dear God, I pray that we will feel your presence in your scripture. I pray that we will receive your invitation to reimagine power and that we will feel moved and present in our week and as we sit and think and reflect on who you are and who you made us to be. Amen. So right now we're doing a summer series on reimagining various subjects, and I was given the topic of power. So this sermon is going to be on reimagining power. And I have to be honest, when I think about power as a word, I usually think of it as a negative. You know, oftentimes um, in the world today, we think about the word power not always as a good thing because we have so many examples and we've seen so many times power being used in irresponsible, coercive, even violent ways. You know, power is often misused. But as I was invited to reimagine power as I crafted this sermon, um, I was also reminded that power can be a good thing. In fact, Martin Luther King talks about power this way. He says that power is quite simply the ability to achieve purpose and effect change. So if I think about power as achieving purpose and effecting change, then power has the ability to be generative. It has the ability to be empathetic and generous. And today, the text that we're going to read is Philippians 2, verses 1 through 11. And before I read, I want to set the scene a little bit for you. So what you need to know about this text is that Paul is actually in jail. And he is writing a letter to a very specific congregation that he has a good relationship with. He knows them well. In fact, this church in Philippi actually fundraises for Paul. So they have a great relationship. And I'm thinking about this idea of power. And a jail cell is usually not where I personally imagine power being. I don't think of people in jail or prison as having access to a lot of power. But I also reflect back on that Martin Luther King quote, as well as the life of Martin Luther King. And he wrote one of his most powerful letters, the letter he wrote in Birmingham jail. You know, that was one of the most powerful and um, prophetic letters that was ever written. And so even in these places of perceived powerlessness, when we think of the definition of power as the ability to achieve purpose and effect change, oftentimes it is in those positions where people still have power. And Paul seemed to know that when we read this. So I'm going to start off Philippians 2. It begins, 
If you find any comfort from being in the anointed, if his love brings you some encouragement, if you experience true companionship with the Spirit, if his tenderness and mercy fill your heart, then brothers and sisters, here is one thing that would complete my joy. Now that's interesting. Paul says, here is one thing that would complete my joy. Remember, he was in prison and he's literally writing to this community saying that he is joyful. In fact, in the Philippians text, Paul mentions the word joy 16 times. He also mentions the phrase rejoice and be glad 11 times. And so he was pretty joyful for a man in prison. The text continues, come together as one in mind and spirit and purpose, sharing in the same love. Don't let selfishness, selfishness and prideful agendas take over. Embrace true humility and lift your heads to extend love to others. Get beyond yourselves and protecting your own interests. Be sincere and secure your neighbor's interests first. So in this introductory part of Philippians 2, Paul is quite literally saying, hey, listen, I am joyful, but I need you all to unite around a common purpose. Unite around love and spirit because you need to set your differences aside right now. The text continues, with, uh, which is probably the most famous part of Philippians. It's called the Christ hymn, and that's verses 6 through 11 in chapter 2. And the first part of the hymn, as you listen, you'll notice um, Christ is being described in his humanity. And in the second part, he is exalted as God. And so it begins with him described as coming down in a human form. And it reads, though he was in the form of God, he chose not to cling to equality with God, but he poured himself out to fill a vessel brand new a servant in form and a man indeed, the very likeness of humanity. He humbled himself, obedient to death, a merciless death on the cross. Now begins, begins his exaltation, and it's, so God raised him up to the highest place and gave him the name above all. So when his name is called, every knee will bow in heaven on earth and below, and every tongue will confess, Jesus, the anointed one, is Lord, to the glory of God our Father. Now, I think one thing I love about that Christ hymn is that, you know, Jesus wouldn't have his power without his humanity. It's him being humbled down as a humble servant in human form that gives him the power of God to also rise up and have us praise and celebrate him. The two quite literally go together. It's almost as if Jesus is most powerful when he's with us. But before we get into the different modes of power, I think we have to address a really basic question. And that question is, why did Paul write this letter? You know, we often ask that question when we come to the Bible. Why was this written? And I think there are really two reasons why Paul wrote this letter. The first one isn't that interesting. And that's just that there was no FedEx. There was no mail service. And Paul happened to have a messenger. 
and that was Epaphroditus. And Epaphroditus was passing through. He was a member of the church in Philippi. And so it worked out well that Paul had a messenger to carry the letter to this community. Not only that, but Paul actually knew Epaphroditus and he was injured. So he needed to get back to his community in a hurry because he wasn't feeling well. The second reason that I think Paul wrote this letter was to reassure the community that he was okay. I mean, imagine your church community, a beloved leader of that community is in prison and you don't know how he is. You don't know how he's doing. They didn't have social media and uh, the internet. They couldn't find answers, but Paul could communicate through letter. And what Paul wanted to let this community know was not just that he was all right, but that he was joyful. And that he was honored to be carrying out this mission that he felt so called to do. He also wanted, in the same letter, to thank the community. Um, this is a community in Philippi that had raised a lot of money for Paul. You know, they were some donors, you might say, in, in today's lingo. And Paul wanted to thank them for their support and remind them that their mission and purpose was so much greater than his circumstances at the time. And so as we reflect on this letter that is pretty inspiring, I think in the context of power, we can think about it in two ways. You know, Brené Brown is a, a researcher out of Houston, Texas, that's very popular now. And she talks about there being two different kinds of styles with power. One is power over, and the other is power with, to, and within. And she says that the best leaders use power with others, they give power to others, and they inspire power within other people. And that's exactly what Paul did in this letter. You know, power over leadership styles, um, they hoard power. They are controlling. They're often fear-based. And that doesn't seem to be like the kind of leader Paul was in this letter. Because in this text, Paul quite literally inspires this community to come together and unite around common purpose for a mission in Christ that is so much bigger than anyone could have even imagined. You know, one thing I love about all the letters from Paul is that they all begin with an introductory clause about grace and peace. And so Paul is consistent with his core values rooted in Christianity. Every time he writes a letter, he centers it in grace and peace. Imagine if our communications with other people were always rooted in grace and peace to them if we truly wanted what was best for them in our communications. That's what Paul always did in his letters. Ultimately, power with, which is opposite of power over, it leverages connection and empathy to unify communities. Brené Brown also says that um, it's a leadership style that is in service of others instead of um, expecting to be served by others. It expands, it includes, it shares. And in the Christ hymn that we read 
You know, Jesus quite literally practiced power with. I mean, how much more with, power with, can you do than to actually become human and do life with humanity? He was power with over power over every time. And I have a friend who facilitates leadership workshops for big companies. And I reached out to her. Her name is Judy Lee. And I knew that she'd probably be familiar with this leadership philosophy of either power over or power with. And I said, Judy, can you give me an example of where power with was more impactful and influential? And so I texted her on a Tuesday. So this is what she replied with. And mind you, I'm expecting like some insider knowledge into a Fortune 500 company leadership style. And she responds and she says, when my kids fight, they come to me to tattle. They want me to be judge and jury, dish out justice and discipline. My instinct is to do that and have power over them. But power with is a different approach. How do I empower two of them to seek for themselves the outcome that provides justice and respect? She went on, she said, I might say something like, I see that you were wronged. How can I help you advocate for yourself? Ultimately, she concluded this text message with power with always requires empathy because it views power as something that can be shared. But power over is always hoarding and self-righteous. And it views power as something to be controlled on one's own terms. By the way, I highly recommend having a friend that you can text on a Tuesday and they just give you content when you want to drop your phone. Like Judy is that friend for me. I was just like, yes, this is exactly what I'm talking about. But ironically, we can use all these modern theories and language um, to talk about this text. I think Brené Brown makes language really accessible so that we can do that. But what I find most compelling about this story is that this story is ancient. This wisdom is ancient. Although we might use modern categories and language to think about it, Paul knew that power with his congregation was going to be more impactful he knew that inspiring a community to set aside their differences and unite under a common purpose to affect change, just as Martin Luther King defined power, Paul also knew that that was going to be how to efficiently and effectively create a healthy and thriving community centered in Christ. But it's not always easy. Um, I recently got an Apple Watch, I'm about two weeks in, and I've been doing some workouts. I'll go on a jog, and it was giving me these alerts, and it said, record workout. And I thought, I've only had it a couple days, so I'm not that impressed with myself yet. The next day, I started to jog. Sure enough, it popped up again, record workout. Then I started to feel pretty good because like every day I was trying to run faster and sure enough, within minutes of my workout, it would pop up and say that I set a record. And then it dawned on me that the watch was actually saying record workout. 
So it was giving me the opportunity to record the workout. And I felt so silly because here I was kind of feeling awesome. I thought I can't go anywhere without setting a record. And now I'm reminded that um, actually, no, you just were reading the word record wrong. And it's sad that I got so much validation and I kind of felt awesome when it would pop up that I was setting records. But I think that's common. We often feel powerful and get validation from sources, from computers, from people in our lives that don't know us well. When ultimately, what's much more impactful and interesting is how we can be awesome in a community. Not how we can um, achieve great things on our own, but what we can do together. You know, I have this friend who um, texted me late one night, and she said, Erica, I'm struggling with panic. I've had crippling anxiety. And she just um, kind of let me know the kind of week that she was going through. And over this past pandemic, uh, I had a baby made a human. And um, uh, uh, in the months that follows, there were, there were some nights where I found myself feeling really anxious. And I was lucky with my postpartum care. I didn't have anything major. But there was one night in particular where I was in a panic and I didn't really know why. And I stayed awake that whole night. And who do you think I reached out to? Sure enough, I reached out to the friend that reached out to me when she was hurting because I knew she'd understand the kind of night and the kind of anxiety that I was feeling. And that's often what we do. That's the power with. It's that, you know, we know we're powerless when we're in isolation, but together we can accomplish so much more, whether we're on the high of a mountaintop or in the lows of anxiety. You know, I was on a walk. A lot of my sermons involve stories about walks because I don't get out very much, but um, especially this past year. But I was on a walk and this bee flew over to a flower and there was a butterfly. And I thought, oh my gosh, this bee is kicking this butterfly off the flower. That is not okay. She was there first. But the butterfly just hopped over to a different flower and the bee occupied that flower. And when I got home, I googled, can bees hurt butterflies? Because I wasn't really sure if I just witnessed an attack. Okay, like I said, I don't get out much. So I googled um, relationships between bees and butterflies, as you do. And what I found was that bees and butterflies are both pollinators. In fact, they're two of the biggest pollinators. And so what I actually witnessed were two totally different species focused on a shared purpose and mission that was much bigger than themselves. And while bees and butterflies look nothing alike, they don't have a lot in common, they still come together to pollinate one of the most important tasks on our planet. You know, one more example of this concept in the world today is in 12-step recovery communities. When you think about it, one of the first steps is, is, is admitting that you're powerless. You know, being without power doesn't feel good. 
But the way that you gain power and um, community back is by walking through the steps with a higher power and with other people in fellowship. This model is quite simple on the surface. It, it, that power is most effective and most responsibly and transformatively used when we do it in community with others and when it's shared among each other. But it's not always our instinct. Often our instinct is to hoard and keep. You know, these questions about power, although I, I can think of many modern examples, I find comfort in knowing that these are ancient questions. You know, Paul asked these same questions 2,000 years ago. He asked questions like, how do we heal a divided congregation? How do we refocus on a purpose that's bigger than us and that matters more than, than what divides us? Paul was asking questions like, how can I center purpose and joy even when I'm feeling isolated and powerless? These are questions that we've probably all asked ourselves at some point in our lives. And I find comfort in knowing that these questions have always been around and what it means to be human, what it means to be human is a process that we are always discovering together but it's best when we do it in community with each other. Let me pray with you. Dear God, I pray that as we go out into our week and month that we will be invited to reimagine power with you. I pray that as we think of power with, that we will remember that power is not something to be controlled and hoarded, but is something to be shared with each other and to find within other people. I pray that we will center connection and empathy and that like Paul, we, we will reimagine a community with purpose and vision that can transcend all obstacles and even find the joy in the mundane, harder parts of life. I pray that we will follow this example of what a community can look like and that we will flourish alongside you on earth as it is in heaven. In your name we pray, amen. God, we thank you for the message you have given us through our dear sister Erica and for the a little bit better understanding of what it means in this time to reimagine power. Ecclesia, we, we come to this table, and for some, this table might resent, represent power, but to us, it also represents grace. This is the table of Jesus, and all are welcome to eat, to feast at this table. As we take in these elements into our physical bodies, our prayer is that it would also nourish our souls. And the scriptures encourage us to take an inward look before we partake, a time to reflect. And so would you join me in this confession prayer? You have made us to be free, but we crave the cheap comforts of our chains. You have made us to serve others, but we have eyes 
only for ourselves. You have made us to love, but we are inflamed with lust. You provide that we may be generous, but we greedily hoard as if your well will run dry. You forgive time and again, but we hold fast to the sins of others. You offer light for our path, but we insist on making our own way. You are the God who saves. Lord, save us from ourselves. In your great mercy, restore and heal us and grant us your peace. Amen. Jesus gathered with his disciples, his friends, and they shared a meal. And he asked them to do something. He said, I want you to remember. I want you to know that this is my body broken for you. That this is my blood shed for you. And Ecclesia, we, along with Jesus, invite you to taste and see the love, the grace, the forgiveness that this meal brings. Amen.
Ecclesia, receive this benediction, words drawn from the prophet Isaiah from chapter 21. Don't be afraid. I am here with you. Don't be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you, help you. I am here with my right hand to make right and to hold you up. It is I, the eternal one, your God, who has hold of your right hand, who whispers in your ear, don't be afraid, I will help you. And so even in our steps of precaution and preparedness, may we fix our eyes on Jesus, who knelt and touched the lepers, who joined us in our messy humanity, who calls us even, and especially in times like these, into his incarnational love. God will show us the way. Sisters, brothers, family, you are beloved. Love one another, dwell in peace. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you would like more information, please visit our website at www.ecclesiahouston.org.